Unloose the goose. We'll take no use. Your paradigm's run out of time and we've got no use. Unloose the goose. Greetings and welcome, fellow adventurers and travelers of the cosmos. This is the Unloose the Goose podcast. We have a great lineup tonight, and we're going to be talking about intentional communities, intentional neighborhoods, and how we as individuals can find our way into groups, right, into organizations and uh, collections of people who all are similar-minded, headed in the same direction, have the same values, and uh, generally want to see the same things in the world and have some similar ideas on how to make those things happen. So... Um, I want to thank you for being here. Remember, if you are going to put any quotes or questions in the YouTube chat, do it so in all caps, and we'll try to add them into the conversation here. Um, so to be, to kick off, I, I would love to ask you guys, what do you think about intentional communities as a whole? Nicole, I think I live in one right now, so it's really weird. I live in a holler in Tennessee, and I am surrounded on all sides by neighbors who listen to my podcast are philosophically aligned. We have nice. dinner together every night at a different house and we make plans together for, to help everybody increase their resilience, not just from a like growing food and prepping standpoint, but from a, how can we help X person earn more money or get more financially independent? And so when I was thinking about this topic tonight, I'm not sure intentional communities work. And then I look around and I'm surrounded by all these like-minded people thinking maybe intentional communities do work. So I'm interested in the talk tonight as we dive into this. Heck yeah. I think it's a, a great, it's a great end that a lot of people are really into and it's easier said than done. And there's been a lot of intentional communities that have failed from various reasons, which we could get into, but whether it's the unschooling community that I'm a part of or the ANCAP, Voluntarist Liberty Movement or Prepper Types or whoever, there's a lot of people that have a goal of the dream of living on a property with their friends and, and loved ones and family. And uh, I that's my dream personally. So super excited to do this talk and anything that we can do to help people achieve that dream. I think it's a lofty goal and it really would allow for some experimenting of different social organizations on the land re in real time, the real deal. So I'm always really excited about intentional community. Yeah. What about you, Jack? I, I often wonder why it's not successful more often. And I wonder how much of it has to do with uh, unrealistic expectations. And I wonder if maybe de like development is the better way to do it instead of, Hey, let's all go get this land and farm it or whatever. Like if you look at like village homes in, in California, it's one of the truly successful uh, ones of those. And, but it really was, you buy a house, right? You buy a house and you live here like any other place, but the whole neighborhood was designed around like permaculture concepts and things like that. And that was going to make a commonality among residents. Instead of like, we all have to agree on the way that we're going to do this. Cause like one of the cool things we're going to do at one of the breakout section sessions at my workshop this, this November is talk about how we might design 
you know, blue sky budget, a, a, a city for 20,000 people. But that's really yeah. just a whole bunch of intentional communities. Yeah. If you're doing it that way right. from the ground up. So I think that's, that's, that's an interesting thought experiment. I don't know how practical it is, but I, I really am starting to believe more and more in if you want to do this in the most successful way possible, you basically are making a subdivision, but it's built on a unique model. And then maybe there is some sort of, and I don't know exactly what legalities you'll have to get around to do this with equal housing and all this crap of vetting of who comes in. Like right. that type of thing. Or maybe yeah. there actually is a way to use something like an HOA for good. I don't know that I trust it. Uh, I know, right? I, I, but for instance, we, we didn't have a thing in my, my place in Arkansas was not really an intentional community, but we did have what was called a property covenant. Yeah. And it put three specific restrictions. And the fourth was, and there shall be no more. Mm-hmm. Right? So it was like, there shall be no more. Like basically... You can remove the ones we have, but it would take a hundred percent of every single person there to change it to anything additionally more. And those were like minimum lot size was five acres. Um, you could have mobile homes that had to have a composite roof. And there was one other thing that that was all like nobody was like, it was like, we're fine with that. We, what we didn't want is the whole mountain ended up developed. So that was how we came up with that. So if there's going to be something like that, some sort of constitutional, you know, override, some sort of federational override, whatever, then I think it has to be severely limited. I mean, clearly our founders were not capable of doing it with our constitution. So it it would take some thought. So what was the name of the neighborhood in California again? Uh, Village Homes. Village Homes. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's in Southern, like mid Southern Cal, somewhere around there. Uh, Both Jeff Lawton and Bill Molson had, had done, you know, documentaries on it. Um, they swelled the whole place. Okay. They, they estimate like the water penetration is like 23 feet when it rains now that they, they're able to get water into the ground. Wow. Um, they don't ir- have to irrigate anything. And it's like across the street is typical suburban California. Right. And, and, and today these houses are worth like three times what the same size houses across the street, you know, and I'm sure that the documentaries were a little bit embellished. I mean, you had hippies laying in a hammock all day playing guitars and stuff, but you know, there's food everywhere. Jeff Lawton said when he went out there, you know, you, you take a a piece of fruit off the vine and you do it on the camera and you know, you want to say it's good, but you can't really lie. And if you, even if you do your face, he said, but everything tastes, you could tell everything was very healthy. Everything tasted fantastic. And like, that's the only one that I'm aware of. That's of size and has sustained. And I think that the magic in it is you have your house. We have all this common property or whatever, or all these common areas that are like parks. Right. But you have your space and it's yours and you're responsible for it. And if you don't pay it, just like anywhere else, you're going to get whipped out. Somebody else is coming to take your house. Like I think when we try to do it like a commune, I think that's where it really starts to fall apart. Or I guess another one I know that's fairly successful, but it's run as a dictatorship. Is what Paul Wheaton's doing with his place in Montana. So and it's run, a total dictatorship. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there, are, in my in my farm up in NC, there are three intentional communities around us. One is called Silo, and it was made by a bunch of Quakers in the 70s. And what they did is they got a whole bunch of people together, bought like thousands of acres, and partitioned home sites, and then they sold lifelong leases. So the, a, a, a nonprofit corporation owned the property. 
and they were all managers of that property essentially. And they would buy, buy a house or a lease that would, was transferable to their kids or whatever. And they had a hospital there, a school, like they built a, a mini community on these thousands of acres all. And it's still working to this day, but it's all based on that. Like what you said, you have your home here and you take care of it however you want. And then there are these common areas that everybody shares and there's a farm and, and, you know, small mercantilism. And then, and that one has worked very well. And that was all Quakers, very reasonable people who are, you know, peaceful, loving, and, and very communicative. Um, and then there was another one closer to Asheville that was more like commune-ish, right? They, they didn't have uh, building code. They didn't build anything to code. It was just like haphazard, like, and they would have these consensus this meetings that would last for ages and ages and like a lot of places were ramshackled and it was an example of like scrapping and scraping by you know what i'm saying like a very low quality and i don't mean to disparage them but a low quality of living compared to what you're talking about jack where they have like a nice suburban land and homes and everything's really clean and you know all of that and then the other one total dictatorship like you're talking about it's one person's land and they just have a bunch of hippies and friends that come through and they're building it and they get everybody to help work with woofers and whatever so out of the three the silo has been the most successful and that's that's sort of like what you're talking about like let's have a neighborhood we'll have like a sort of bylaws that we all gather and do this thing you know every so often and manage the business together but for the most part everybody's doing their own thing and i and and like what we're working on here in South Florida right now is sort of like what you're talking about. The, the, the neighborhood model, a golf community down here works very well. They pay a membership to be a part of the community and they buy their house, right? That membership yeah. is ongoing. And so instead of golf, we're going to call it like a regenerative community. It's built around a farm essentially and, and mercantilism. You know? Cause I mean, that's really important. There was a, a, an example of a neighborhood down here and it was a neighborhood. They weren't trying to do what we're doing, but they had a really nice lake until they had a bad fall turnover one year and then all the fish died and then right. people were not paying their HOA dues. Right. And then they couldn't afford to get rid. And it was like, it was like a two acre lake and like a third of it was covered in floating dead fish. That's yeah, kind look. of a problem. You'd like that yep. to go away. Now you would hope that if we had people on hard times or didn't have enough money or didn't want to use the budget for that, that people in the community, like we're talking about would say, okay, we all need to get out there and bury the fish. Yeah. That's the solution, right? The solution is, Hey, we need fertility. There's dead fish. Let's bury the fish. But that was like just, it made the, it made the, the city news here that wow. that was going on. So that's, that made me sit and think, okay, there is stuff that can go wrong that's expensive to fix. So smart does, you know, for, first of all, you'd also hope that like, I figure if you and I, you know, Xavier designed a pond, we probably wouldn't get a third of the fish to die in the pond. Correct. Like, that probably wouldn't happen to us. We'd probably design a little more smartly, but. There's still things that can go really, really wrong. And I think so that that model you're talking about has to be designed. Okay. Here's an ongoing expense. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know how the financials, cause I almost got in big trouble with, with the FTC over what some I tried to do. Yeah. Um, but it would seem to me that it would make a good, it would be a good thing that there was some sort of a reserve fund of money. Yeah. Right. That like the monthly dues do not just barely cover everything. There has to be some kind of reserve. And then maybe if it gets up to a certain amount, dues get you reduced grow. unless it, I mean, you yeah. know, some you could give back whatever. Yeah. You can do like the permaculture thing and, and grow the community or make an extra surplus of something. And There's, it seems like this like really just lends itself to like backing a co-op into it. Cause then you can hire people and do things and manage things and it's run for the members and it's 
not for profit, but it's really can make a profit yeah, versus a true not for profit. You know, I think it's interesting that we came into this talking about how intentional communities don't work a lot of the time. And both of you named three or four. We have, we have three around me that have been around since the seventies, the farm being one of them. Oh yeah. And short mountain sanctuary, which is um, a place where uh, LGBT people can go and oh, I know another not one. be judged. And Wait, like <laughs> they all end up having this set of standards. That's what keep them going. I know short mountain, I think in order to make a change, there has to be a hundred percent buy-in. Yeah. That means if one person says no, it's no. No. Consensus. And that's how they've gotten through. But it's just, it's interesting that we say they don't work. And then we're like, but there's this one and this one and this one. And then when you look at the successful ones, like the farm, all of the areas surrounding it are brought up. Yeah. Right. So the other thing is there's this like ripple out effect from an intentional community that brings up the neighbors. So I, another one I remembered when you said the LGBT one, there was uh, where, where we managed our farm in, in West Virginia, just over the other holler, there was a, a, a clothing optional gay men's commune and they were apparently successful. <laughs> I don't know how, because I did how successful because I didn't visit, but yeah. So even that yeah. worked. So like if they can make that work, then I don't know why we can't. It's good to have what, a What's the difference value. between an HOA, would you say, and an intentional community? Because I, I also see my mom as president of her HOA, one of the most miserable positions you can ever be in. I have come to understand. <laughs> and it's, it is We're just a neighborhood, it. right? But, and they're trying to design it with intention for people over 65. Okay. That would be an intentional community. HOA to me is, first of all, it's people that just want more government in their life. But if you, if you ask a person who's in a neighborhood with a typical HOA, why do you need an HOA? They either use a lot of curse words that make us sound <laughs> like we're not, we don't even curse on our show because they get really like, I don't want a fucking HOA, man. <laughs> I'm stuck with this. Or you get to protect property values. So it seems to me that the majority of HOAs exist solely to protect property values, which to me is basically saying, I want to make sure that my children can never afford a house. That, mm-hmm. That's really what people are saying when they say that. Where to me, an intentional community would be something like you said. Now, maybe it's not the intentional communities we're talking about tonight, but you're talking about an intentional community specific for people over 65. Okay, that's that, that means it has a purpose that serves the community as a community where – if I just have an HOA to protect my property value, I don't really give a shit about my neighbor as long as they don't park their old car in the street and hurt my property value in some yeah. weird way. Or my other neighbor doesn't grow corn that shows over the fence and then it hurts my property value. Or this thing, I had, there's, there's one down where we used to live and it was on a street called Emerald Cove. So everybody decided that everybody had to put green Christmas lights out. And so they put into their HOA charter that you couldn't have multicolored Christmas lights. <laughs> And you were supposed to put out lights that were green. Like you were not supposed to not participate and they couldn't actually make somebody participate. But they would like harass. It was almost like that movie Christmas with the cranks. Like they would almost like harass the shit out of you if you didn't put out your green Christmas lights. So to me, those types of things, I don't see that as intentional community, but it is an HOA. So I think an HOA can help an intentional community, but it, an HOA does not make an intentional community. John, what do you got on this? You were, you were going to say something prior. Oh, sure. I was just thinking of, uh, 
like Jack was talking about the people harassing because of the color of the light bulb. It reminded me of that Seinfeld scene where it's like, you don't want to wear the ribbon. Why don't you, wear <laughs> you want to do the green lights? Yeah. Why don't you want to do the emerald green like, light? I don't want to wear the ribbon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's good for intentional communities to be united around like common values. And that gives some cohesion for the group rather than, but you know, at the end of the day, it could be, we just want to have beautiful permaculture, have our own properties, so on and so forth. Uh, and I want to point out, there's like a whole different sort of intentional communities. A lot of people, I think, think of buying a big piece of property, having more like a communal thing, farming, and we all have eco homes on the property. That seems like to be the thing that comes to mind for a lot of people. But um, I was just looking through a list of some intentional communities, and one of the ones on there was Free State Project, which mm-hmm. when you just look at the, you know, the root of the word, it's we're intentionally yeah. moving somewhere and forming a community, you know. So uh, like Nicole was saying, that's what she has going over there. Uh, it can be, even be like a virtual community, but I think a lot of the times it's like we're talking about being on the same place. And then there's some really cool, innovative, intentional communities that I think offer a lot of hope for experimentation with social organization and, and governance. Yeah. Uh, like special economic zones is one. There was a project they're mm-hmm. working on in Honduras and another one somewhere in Southeast Asia. Uh, yeah. Hong Kong, of course, is the perfect example of a successful special economic zone where the used to be. parent. Yeah, now it's gone to hell. The parent country grants some extra rights and privileges and experimentation. And then there's this free private city concept. Uh, there's this cool organization called Startup Societies, I think, but they yep. experiment and talk about all this and put out a journal. And so like a start, a free private city is a city that's run by a company or a corporation and you have a private contract with the company that provides services, so on and so forth. So that's I think that's nice cool. And then the Seasteads seem really promising if one can actually get off the ground. So that would be an intentional community that's off of the coast and trying to avoid the sovereignty of a nation state. There was an experimental one outside of Thailand with uh, a husband and wife, Chad and Nadia, I think their name were. Yeah, they're still alive, not was. Although the country Thailand wants them dead and they are trying to charge them with some violation of Thailand sovereignty because they dare put this small like one bedroom seastead out off off the coast of Thailand. So they're kind of like running from the Thailand government. But I'm just excited about all the different opportunities that are out there. And I think if more people begin experimenting with these opportunities, maybe it'll make it easier for we agorists and liberty lovers to point to like, hey, here's something that's working. Right? Yeah, because the objection is always like, well, how's anarchy going to work? What are we going to do? Right. We need government, blah, blah, blah. But now we have opportunity to try some some cool things. There's two points in all of that 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 strike a chord with me. One of them was the idea of these smart cities. Right. Everybody's like, oh, the smart city. It's such an appealing idea. But it's actually, if you think about it, a technocratic fascist nightmare. Right. If you become a employee or a, 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 a citizen of one of these private corporations, it's run like a traditional corporation is right. There's a top down hierarchy, just like, I mean, it could be a really bad situation. And then they have all of your data, biometric data, your everything, right? It's a smart integrated city and all of your, your stuff is tracked. That's already happening now, but the degree of influence and control that a private corporation can have on the lives of people, if they're living in one of these smart cities. So if you're thinking about smart cities, do look into how they run, who manages them, and to what end those corporations operate their other businesses. 
but but that's not synonymous like a smart city with all the technocracy like we covered last week. That's not synonymous with a free private city. Correct. You could have, and then of course the cool thing yes. about companies. This is the ANCAP argument, right? The company ha- has the job of serving the client, which is Correct. the resident or the citizen. And so at least with something like that, especially if there were multiple ones that would right. compete for our our business, our loyalty. If you don't like how it's going, you can exactly. either leave or you can try to, you know, go to the customer service department, I guess, which would be exactly. the traditional branch of this country. I don't know. Of the, so that, of brings up, that brings up the second point. Good segue into it is that um, it, and it kind of touches on the HOAs is that uh, the whole idea of the tragedy of the commons, like all those fish mm-hmm. died in that lake and it ruined, you know, their neighborhood because everybody was responsible, not responsible for the fish. Yeah. Nobody was, you know, yeah. because everybody was, nobody was. Nobody yeah, was. That's a problem. Right. Now, in that so, case, at least it was something that eventually, you know, eventually it will take care of itself. It, it's yeah. not a forever problem, but it, you could have a forever problem it, it, other than, you know, somebody has to fix it. So that's where the HOA and what the corporate governance comes into play. And like, where's the balance there with uh, where where we all have a say, we all have a, a stake in it and it and. We come up with like a way to, to live. I love the four rules. You know, it's just those, the fourth one is like, there shall be no more, you know, yeah, um, that's worst nightmare. Yeah. But if you build a, uh, an intentional community around a business, you know, around an actual mercantile or, or productual based business, like ag- agriculture or whatever, um, then it's not just the, the, the in, in, the in, um, revenue from the, the people who live there, but it's also generating its own money. Mm hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things you have to be careful of is over time, people are going to die. People are going to move. There's right. a, there's a town in Pennsylvania. I have no idea what their status is today, but we used to go there to watch like sprint car races on, you know, like half mile dirt track races. And, um, there was a racetrack kind of right in the town. And if you've ever been to one of those, they're loud, like sprint car. They're like kind of low, you know, like your local guys race and all it's, it's rubbing and racing. And, uh, but they're really loud. They're like, a, and it's five hours on every Friday night through racing season. Well, no one bitched in the beginning because they put the track in the middle of nowhere. And over time, this town built up around it. And everybody that became part of this town was like, it's cool. The races are every Friday night. And if you moved there and built a house there when there were no houses there, then you didn't bitch because you knew when you did it, Right. Right. Well, over time, all of a sudden, then as, as the community aged out, they were, tr- put, you know, trying to get rid of the track. Well, the track was there first. So I think you do have to be careful. You can't assume just because you, if you want longevity, if you want legacy in something, you do have to build some sort of protection into it. Because just because everybody that did it at first had a vision that was common, doesn't mean that that'll be shared by future generations. And it's, it's actually a fairly interesting libertarian question. Do you even have a right to limit what the next generation can do with like a land trust or something like that? Does that even make sense? Hmm. It, um, I mean, it all, I guess it would all depend on the original contract or uh, the social contract, right? That you construct and you could tie it to the property. Get him! I did. (laughs) A voluntary one. That's right. okay. That's real one. Did you actually yeah, sign okay. it though? <laughs> yeah, you got to sign it. You got to consent to it. I think is a big, a big element. Yeah. I think one, um, there needs to be a aspect of private property or ownership, right? That's something we've all been hitting on. A lot of communes, just the word communal, they have that tragedy of the commons. And then when you have a stake in it, 
then you have a stake in making sure that it's successful and that it maintains value. There's a, my girlfriend's way into intentional communities and her mentor, they have this concept where you build it essentially as a condo association. And so you can have that uh, legal entity and then people own a share and maybe it's one acre, half acre, five acres, whatever. And then the condo association can own the common grounds. Right. And you have an incentive to ensure that the common areas are kept up or even improved. And then yep. this also helps resolve, which is a big problem for intentional communities that Jack already brought up. What happens when someone passes away or wants to move out? And with the condo association, you sell your share to someone or you pass it on, which brings up another problem. Like if, if you're doing it with a bunch of friends and you're like obviously idealistic or ideologues around agorism or whatever, like I don't want to do an intentional community with hardcore socialists. Um, how do we approve who comes in or is it consensus or what if Johnny the a-hole starts coming, coming to town right. and he's a total pain in the ass and he makes, you know, everyone has a bad taste in their yeah. mouth. So those are some questions that I think uh, you would want to answer before venturing on this with some buddies. You got to see some of the problems and try to overcome them. Yeah. They got to have resources if they're coming to the community for the first place. A lot of people come together thinking like, Oh, we'll make the community make us money and that's how we're going to survive. And none of those communities ever work. So it's hard. Yeah, my, value. my my idea when I got in trouble with the government, and it was because I was publicly oh, solicit- ethos, right? Yeah, so, when I was so publicly you- solicitating funds to do this is the way they looked at it. And if I wanted to do it where there was no return of value to the to people, then it would just be advertising for something. So it, it it sort of can be done. But what my thought was is to get a you get a piece of land, you divide it into acreage, and then you give those lots out, those, you know, one acre, two acre, five acre, whatever you decided, whatever worked, whatever made the math work. Instead of selling the piece of land to Xavier, Xavier would get a 99-year guaranteed renewable lease yeah. on that land because that's a magic piece of paper that when you go to a bank, the bank assume, it, it takes that just like you own it, and you can get a construction loan, and you can build the house there, and you own the house and you've got the renewable, and then the land is actually held by one common land-holding trust. Yeah. And that actually can then set, basically, you have, like, private zoning, like, all these things are allowed type of right. situation. So you're creating, a, like, a, a voluntary dictatorship, but it's a dictatorship through a charter. It's not a dictatorship through, oh, I changed my mind today, now we can go, you know, salt the earth or whatever. That's right. Um, and, and I, I like that idea. And then, of course, now Xavier owns the house. And he owns – see, he doesn't own the land, but he owns the lease on the land. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's essentially, you're holding title to a lease right. Now, that all works for the financing, but my thought of dealing with, well, how do we make sure that, like, John doesn't move in and John's a dick, and we would really prefer that Nicole moves in, but Nicole's not available, and Xavier's got to sell. He's got to get out. He needs, he's in trouble. The, the rest of the community – is is given you so the property the value is appraised yep. and it, this is what we're going to list the property for okay and we have first right as a community to buy him out right. and then we can sell it to to gain back and mm-hmm. that's a way we can control who comes in without him because the only reason that there would be a conflict there is he needs his money yeah he right. wants out as long as we can make a way for him to go yeah. And as long as we don't get a, a like a, a bank run, basically, like as long as like half the people don't want to leave at once mm-hmm. and you have to have a provision for that. But that was my idea to get around that. How do we control who comes in? Well, we own it. Well, no, Xavier owns it. No, Xavier owns it now. Right. We own it when he sells it 
unless we are like, yeah, you can sell it to Nicole. Yeah, that's pretty good. Because then yep. the community could stall out on approving somebody, or maybe there's no yeah. If we're going to, if, that around. would be the thing. Like we have 30 days Stuck. to either approve your buyer or buy out buy it from you. Right. Right. That's why it's good to have some extra money sitting around and assets and, that, and, and investments. And that's common in business contracts with companies and stuff. That's that's always totally. been like you have a four person corporation. I own ten percent of the corporation. I want my I want to sell my shares. So I can sell them, but you have right to buy first. The yeah. reason Perma Ethos wasn't going to work though is because you were trying to get lots of small investors rather than one big person with a lot of money to buy it and then set it up. Or yeah. why did that? So yeah. you needed somebody with several million dollars to jump in. Yeah, probably not even that much, but yeah. And okay. the feds, the feds reached out to you. Uh, a man that worked for the FTC walked up to me at uh, Permaculture Voices One and said, "I love you. I love what you do." But if you do what you're talking about doing, they are going to send you to Club Fed. Oh, he gave you the like, inside I, I, will, I will mail you a soap on a rope to protect you. That's the best I'll be able to do. <laughs> there are creative ways to do it. And there are I ways to do it. Yeah, yeah. You just it's a it's a delicate line to dance around. But um, same with crypto, huh? Yeah, you know anything anything that is in the area of freedom, there are so many rules and laws to prevent that from actually happening, right? Yeah. Right. And then, like I learned in Texas, you got to be real careful about what county you pick. Because, like, oh, we yeah. found this great piece of land, and we were still, like, figuring out how to make this thing work. And we talked to a guy that worked with the county board down there, and he's like, yeah, they don't give a shit about the whole unincorporated thing like you have in Tarrant County going on. Um, it's the I remember the can't remember the county now, but it's down by Corsicana. It's the place where they were going to build the super collider they never built. And because of that, they came up with all this zoning crap, and they were oh, going to no. force us to turn it into a conventional subdivision, yeah. which we were going to have to put in paved roads and all. It was going to be like a million and a half dollars. That was a back of the napkin calculation just to get it to the point where we could call it a subdivision and start selling the land. And like that was that was just stupid and ridiculous. There was no need for that. Right. But right. that's what. Yeah. So like, but if you would have gone like the Hector County, then you could have done whatever you want. Of course, then you're in the desert and it sucks. So we got questions on the YouTube channel about Perma Ethos, and and so I think we covered that. But the other questions regard: What do you think of Paul Wheaton's attempt at an intentional community at Wheaton's Labs? Wheaton Labs. We talked about that at the very beginning, but you know, you want to go into that some more? Uh, Paul's a dear friend, and I don't want to say anything critical. <laughs> and right. I and I really wouldn't be right to say anything critical because I don't know. I've been there once, and it was many years ago. So I don't really know the exact situation going on there. They are building what he calls Wafatis, and that seems to be going well. It seems yeah. to me that it's working, but it's also there's a very small number of people who are really there there, and there are people that come through. There are people that make a go of it, and they kind of flame out. They leave. Whatever they leave behind, that now is owned by the, the Duke who runs right. the stuff up there. And that's fine. I mean, I think at least it gives people that opportunity. And there's consistency. Uh, yeah. And he is, he, but he is like, I know like one of his rules is since they do uh, like composting toilets, you're not allowed, like if, unless it's grown on property, if you go buy food, it has to be organic. Cause God forbid wow. you poop non-organic poop. So right. like, I'm like, that's hardcore. That's hardcore. It's beyond what I would do, but it's also not my community. He can do whatever he wants, yeah. you know, so, yeah. it's prerogative. I think the good thing about what he does is he's really clear about what the expectations and the rules are. Mm, yeah. And if you're smart, you will look at them in advance and decide if you can conform to that or not. Well, there's a lot of there, though, because a lot of people run into that like a deer in the headlights and they, they 
get angry and they have I hate Paul forums and all kinds. Right, of they stuff. do. But, but then I'm like, well, he did what he said reality. he was going to do. He said I'm going to kick you off if you don't adhere to my rules. Right. You're kicked off. Yeah. Like, I went up there yeah. and didn't adhere to his rules and he kicked me off. Well, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> he is does consistent. He, does he look like a man who's kidding when he says something? I mean, no. <laughs> that's in your ways, balance. Will too. That's does anybody know anything about strike. kibbutzes? Somebody brought that up in the YouTube chat as well. Kibbutzes. They seem to be. I know they are a Jewish intentional community in Israel um, where people come and live and work. And it's, you know, based around the faith and and like um, they they tend to work. You know, Uh, I don't really know a great deal about them. I've never been to one. Don't they bridge Jewish and Muslim or am I mixing that up with something else? Where they bring specific projects together. But the idea of a kibbutz is just an essentially like a faith-based okay. intentional community around health and well-being. Um, mm. they, they, they have tended to work out there from what I know. Very little. I know very little about them. But everybody that I've ever met who's gone to one or lived in one always had great things to say about them. So. It, it seems to me, if I remember some stories about some stuff like this going on in Greece as well, when, when the Greece, Greek economy started collapsing, but it wasn't like we're all trying to skin this. Of how do we like buy a piece of land and ask permission so they don't come shut us down? Like they just went out and like, okay, nobody's using this piece of land. Okay, screw it. Here we go. Mm-hmm. And they just like squatters rights type situation. Yeah. Um. And see, instead of saying you have to buy your way in or whatever, it was like, okay, so you can come here and either you contribute or we're going to throw you out. And right. by the way, there's not a lot to start with. So there's not a lot of like, you can't be sitting around while others do the work. And it seems to me I saw one of a guy up in Canada too, but it was very much a dictatorship type one, but it seemed like mm-hmm. a benevolent one, um, mm-hmm. where there was a lot of nakedness <laughs> and things like that as well. And party. Yeah. Benevolent dictatorship. That worked. And that yeah, was a heck of a lot easier if it was a dictatorship. Just that as long was as I'm built a on the idealism of anarchism, that one. That was, and you know, you see a YouTube anarchist video, dictatorship. Yeah, well, no, that's that's a thing, right? You know, our our virtual communities are all anarchist dictatorships. There's no government yeah. intervention, and when you salt, you put the community together, you say the rules, and when somebody's like, you can't tell me, what do you do, John? When somebody tells you, if you you know, say, hey, <laughs> on our Telegram group, we're not allowed to say things like that, and they say, you know what, I'll do whatever I want. You throw, you flex the band hammer. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Thea, and then all the gifts. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> I love the ones that say, "I'm leaving." That's that. You just. Oh yeah. Okay. This goes. Well, hi, why quit. haven't you gone yet? You didn't fire me. I quit. I, one yeah, of my I, I, concerns- you know, when the uh, Goose Group was first launching, I got a lot. There's a question on there. Do you agree not to be a dick? Oh, nice. <laughs> or I mean, it's maybe or not to be an asshole or whatever. I don't know what it is. And good people question. were like, "No, I can't agree to that." Well, then, no, you can't get in. <laughs> good screening. That's like that's not how this works. That's why the question is asked. I'll do whatever I want. You okay, will, but go not here. <laughs> I think I think it's another good balance between the dictator and the communal because. I'm having some some insecurities about investing a lot of my time, a lot of money, resources uh, with equal footing with other people. And I think for people that want to do this, if you are going to go in as an equal footing scenario where everyone chips in the same amount or whatever, 
um, make sure that it's people that you've already vetted. It's not just the guy that you met on social media, you know, a couple months ago or whatever. It's people that preferably have gone through conflict with because I've been doing organizing and packs and groups and all sorts of stuff for like 20 years now. And one of the biggest points of failure for an organization or a movement is interpersonal conflict. So if you're going to invest a lot of money and time, it's going to be your home. And you definitely want to make sure that you can weather the storm because there will be storms and there will be disagreements and conflicts is inevitable, but it's all about how you flow through that. So like with our project, one of the people involved, obviously my girlfriend, we jive really well. We hardly ever fight, which I'm super blessed. Um, and then the other guy is this guy that I lived with. I lived at his home for a little while and we're super cool. We've never even had conflict. There's no passive aggressive comments, which I hate passive aggressive. Like if you're going to be, if you're upset, come at me with it. You know, don't do some little sarcastic BS, but he's cool. He's vetted. I know that we don't really have conflict and that we can roll together. That being said, like my vision for the project that we want to do is like, I'd like to secure, say it's like a 20 acre property. I'd like to secure five acres in the back corner. And then like, that's our spot there. And then with another five acres or whatever, we do a little bit more of a experimental, like eight different little mini properties or something like that. But I would definitely advise people that are wanting to do this, figure out exactly what it is you want to do. Make sure you're doing it with the right people and then spend a lot of time studying the various models and ways to do it. Because I don't know what the best way to do it is, you know, but there's got to be some communities out there that have been working for a while successfully. Definitely don't do what the ones that have failed have done, you know. And it seems like the one that fa the ones that failed have generally relied on people to do self-construction. I'm not saying that never works, but I'm saying that seems like the one that's had the greatest propensity for failure. Right. What do you mean self-construction? Uh, like well, like you, you get this block of dirt and good luck. Okay. Yeah. Right. And, and done in a way where, see, like, like I said, what I wanted to do is I wanted to do this with a 99 year lease. So that, that was solve the land issue. I was also trying to lower the burden of entry for the person. Mm -hmm. Right. But I also wanted them to be able to go to a bank and go, here's my income. Here's my credit. I'd like to buy, I'd like to build a house. Mm -hmm. Because if I can, if I can get access to financing, then a house is as simple as I would like this kind of carpet and I'd like this kind of roof. And you know, within a year, there's a house there. Yeah. A, a year later, there's not five tires that are someday going to be an earth ship. Right. You know? And it, some of those communities I've seen like that, they made me think of, I used to call a guy a multicolored car guy. And all of us that went to high school back in the 70s and 80s, we, we know multicolor car guys. There's like 12 of them in every high school. Right. They've got this old Chevelle, and it's got like a red fender and a green hood and a or white fender. it's the little Honda, and, the little burner. Right, yeah. And it's like and the multicolor car guy, they all sounded the same. They all sounded the same. One day, man, I'm going to get some money. And I'm mm -hmm. going to get some Krager mags. I'm going to put 60s on the back and 70s Spoiler. on the front. And I'm going to cherry coat that thing with candy apple red color. And that car, you know, I went off the Army, went away down to Texas for 10 years, went back 15 <laughs> years after I got out of high school. That dude was still driving that car. It had more colors <laughs> on it and more rust on it. No Krager mags, no 60s, no 70s. Nice. And I've just seen some of these, like, try, like buy New Mexico land, try to do earth ships or whatever. It seems like they don't ever get done. Yeah. And I think people go try to build a house. And it's one thing to try to build a house where there's a Home Depot 15 minutes down the road. It's another thing to build a house out in Turlinga, Texas, where yeah. you get like one inch of rain in a quarter and 
the next supply place to pick stuff up is 75 miles away. Yeah, that'll get pricey quick. The other mistake I see is not addressing in advance how you are going to resolve conflict. Yes. Like, literally, you want to think through the method for resolving that because anytime you have people living near each other, things come up. And (laughs) at some point in your in your intentional community, you may actually have the kind of neighbor that you need to kick out. And do you have, like, do you have a mechanism for that? Or do you have to deal with their shit for the rest of your life? And that shit can be like bullhorns in the middle of the night, you know, (laughs) out into the, whatever. When people decide to be jerks, they, they can think of very many creative ways to do it. And so when I hear, like, I cringe a little bit on intentional communities as much as I want them to work. I also think, you know, you're, you are giving up a lot of control when you do that, unless you are the dictator of your own intentional community. Mm-hmm. I like to call I, ours the unintentional community, by the way, because that's good. People just yeah. showed up. I, I know, like not, the neighborhood idea, right? If, if it's yeah, a neighborhood yeah. and if it's structured, everybody's got their own kitchen, their own place, their own what they're responsible for. I like the idea of a corporation managing the property as a whole. I really also like the idea of prefab houses. Like we pick the best ecological designs that fit with the landscape, all of this. And then we provide a lifestyle, a regenerative lifestyle. So you're not just buying a home, you're buying a lifestyle. And I think corporations, especially something like Fireon, like we can provide that as a service and it addresses like the, the tragedy, the common stuff, taking care of all the common areas. People pay a membership just like they do with the golf clubs for their fancy little whatevers. Yeah. And, you know, that those dues go to keeping up the farm, paying a farm manager, making sure that everything is like a beautiful life that you want to have. Right. Without having to think about how you're going to build your house. Now, that might not be appealing for some very creative folks. Right. But because they want to build their own thing, they have their own yeah. dream of earthship. But it would fit a good segment of the population. And I think yeah. if we're going to normalize this kind of future, like we have to provide that future as something that people can buy into. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah, I do like the word neighborhood better, like intentional neighborhood. Yeah. A regenerative neighborhood. comfortable with that. I well, because that. people live in neighborhoods with neighbors that they don't particularly care for all the time, but they don't have a problem because they're not forced to actually interact. I've got Especially neighbors now. here. They're cool. Yeah. I got neighbors here. They're cool. I got neighbors over there. They're cool. These, these neighbors over here, they're going to die sooner or later anyway. I got a neighbor back here that Nicole hates. <laughs> but you don't have to sit in a meeting with them but every week listening really to Sally talk about her cat. But I just got these people that bought this piece of property over to my west, and they just don't want to be bothered. But there's no problem. Yeah. Because we are not forced, like, we don't have to share a common bathroom or some shit like you were saying, you know? Or uh, even, like, you don't have, like, a weekly meeting deciding everything that's going to happen oh, in the neighborhood. And you, if I you do have, what I want. They do what they want. They put in a steel frame building. I put in an outbuilding. No one gives a shit. Yeah. And I think that has to be kind of like, you have to have a certain amount of, of, of DGAF to be allowed to come in, and that's don't give a fuck. Right. right. The DGAF factor. If your DGAF factor is not high enough, then you don't qualify to get in <laughs> in the first place. Sorry, Again, I just don't know how do you police that good in the beginning with EOE, right? Or not EOE, but equal housing, right? Uh, oh boy. It always comes back to things. Yeah. It's really hard There's to screen for people who really understand what it's none of my business is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and that whole equal housing thing, like. What like, if you just charged a really high price that they could never get financing for? But if you're not a dick, we give you a discount. Is that legal? Right. Yeah, I mean that's how the neighborhoods <laughs> do it. I mean, like 
So we're doing dick just... screenings now. I was not expecting that from this podcast. <laughs> dick screenings. Wow. Now it's getting serious. They don't have equal housing stuff for like, you know, golf club communities. Yeah. If it's private, I think that's mainly public housing. Yeah. And maybe some company or maybe like a company that starts I thought up landlording's a... like that too, though. When you like rent a Landlording house. is like that. Yeah, it is. But are you <laughs> landlording? The cool thing about this model you are. <laughs> There's this attorney named Randy Langford, and he has this concept called dynamic agreements. And so it substitutes your traditional contract for business, corporation, or even like a marriage. And it's a perfect use case for going into an intentional community. And the idea is that it's like it's kind of a dumbed down contracting. There's all sorts of legalese. It's all attorney speak and specialized language. And there's ways to get people it's kind of like dumbed down. It's a little more fluid, although fluid in that there's mechanisms in place if there needs to be changes. Um, so that's something people could check out. He's from Austin, Texas here. Dynamicagreement.com is his website. Somebody on the YouTube chat said Karen screening is key. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you no Karen. Karen in your I feel so Karen. sorry for lots of women named Karen. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> All the Some cool of them fit the bill. Online. They're like, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be extra cool because of it. it the, the thing about governance, right? If you if you have to have those meetings all the time, or decisions need to be made, you know, we have these cool things like Telegram and a bunch of cool, you know, little little phones we can make decisions on. We don't have to sit and listen to each other chat about. I mean, I've been in consensus meetings like in the early aughts, right, where people would try to figure out something together, and we all have to be in agreement. And like, you would have to listen to somebody go on about like some personal wound that they have that's having that's get, that's making them have a hard time with the, the decision now and like oh, and wow. everybody has to hold them, you know and like that can be infuriating as as like there are opportunities for healing and all of this wonderful you know personal development stuff but if you're trying to make a decision yeah that's in business it. nowadays yeah. a lot of these a lot of the intentional communities are more left-leaning these days and mm-hmm. progressive. That's a whole lot of permaculture in this whole sustainable world as well. And then there's like us crazy agorist outcasts. But uh, my girlfriend went to this this conference. This It was called a regenerative collab. And before a lot of the group meetings, everyone went around and gave their pronouns. And so that's this new element of the safe space and the pronouns, especially oh, no. in these left communities. And so when you're talking about meetings getting bogged down and stuff, that's Dude, no, that would have been, hi, my name is Jack. My pronouns are was, were, goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start calling you, know, you I was, were now. To kind of go off the, the subject just a little bit, I was on the phone with a friend of mine that I hadn't talked to in a couple of years, and he was like, you know, the idea of having guns and defending yourself now makes you like a Trump supporter or so far right when really it's just a, a good thing to, to, to have, you know, uh, thinking that preservation or a bad idea automatically makes you like now super far left. It's like you can't have reasonable discourse or take an intelligent position on something without being marginalized to one dichotomy or the other, you know, one yeah. polarity or the other. And so I think this, the idea of intentional communities is to help mix that up, you know, like a regenerative neighborhood so that there isn't that polarity, right? Because that's, that's sort of dangerous in society as a whole. Well, I think the whole point of what we do with agorism, real anarchism, libertarianism is try to make political not, not the point. It doesn't matter. 
Yeah. Like I think that most people really do just want to be left alone. When we get into this, this collectivist ideology of we have to have the government provide this it, or that or this other thing. And then we need someone else to take it. We, what's happened is society's been leveraged to the point where people can't afford it and they don't have another answer. I mean, that's the why if you look right. at what's pushing leftism so strongly right now, it's two things. It's healthcare and it's student debt and Trump. Uh, well, yeah, but I mean, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. You could have a leftist in power and they'd say he's not left enough. Yeah. I mean, really, you might soon, right? I mean, that's what you'll hear, you know? Um, yeah, Trump's a very polarizing figure, but it, it, see, I also think it's, it's, it's that if you're, if you're less than 45 ish years old today, you probably don't really remember Ronald Reagan. And you don't really remember that a lot of the absolute lunacy that's going on about Trump, it's a different flavor, but it's the same thing. Right. Reagan was Satan. Reagan was the devil. Reagan was going to, you know, I mean, it was crazy. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it was it was the same thing. It was the same but different, man. So do you think <laughs> the 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 popularity of intentional communities right now, because when we were building Colony Earth, it was like literally everybody and their mother had a dream for an intentional community or was working on some kind of project that was going to make that happen. And everybody was running into the same thing. They couldn't get financing. Jack, you and I were actually on the road to success with Perma Ethos and with Byron or at that day, Perma Credits. Um, Cause I think we're, we're nailing, we're coming closer to the, the actual business model that works. Um, but do you think that the popularity of these things is because they're seeing the larger collapse of the social contract or this, or, or like the, the larger culture as a whole? Um, yeah. it's like our nat- nature to group, right? It's our nature yeah. to find a tribe and survive together. You know, you know this, I know this together. We can actually build something with that, right? I think it's a result of trying to get the hell away from everybody. And then when you successfully do that saying, well, I don't actually want to be away from everybody. Mm-hmm. I don't right. want alone like you said people naturally want to group together i do think you have to be very careful i i am the survival podcast guy and i would not build a prepper community because we're going to get ready for the end of all about a intentional community that was working well that crashed and burned uh and began crashing and burning january of 20 of the year 2000 was uh bo greitz is almost heaven uh in in it was either montana or idaho because they thought the world was going to end when Y2K came and it, they had it going pretty good. And it just, it immediately, as soon as nothing happened, <laughs> right? And, you know, I mean, they had their guns and they were going on patrol. Like they were in the middle of nowhere and they still had like everybody pulled guard duty shifts and you have two guys driving around all night, driving in a circle around the property. <laughs> wow. It's so obvious what they were doing. You could have been like, okay, I want to invade your property. There goes the car. It won't be yep. back in 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I mean, it was, at least it was a thing and yeah. it was, it was immediate, like just. I, I think there's also a realization of how unstable our society is depending on your local and uh, federal government for everything. As, yeah. as much as we're, we've seen such an increase in how many things are expected to be quote unquote free mm. and that we get covered or subsidized by the government people see how unstable that is Mm -hmm. and that's making them realize in order to be stable they need to find other people they can rely on because 
when they get into those systems that are set up, they realize they don't work, but they don't, they're like somehow afraid to admit it. Hmm. And, and so I think that's part of the increase that, and then as divided as we are in the dichotomy, a lot of people aren't and just don't want to engage with it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are starting to be over it. I yeah, they're over here. Conversations like there's this dive place. I go to a cafe for breakfast almost every day and I hear the guys start talking about politics and I assume that they're going to be Biden guys because yeah. we're in Austin, but they start railing on both parties and Pelosi yeah. and Trump. And I was like, all right, that's, that's refreshing. But I think the first episode we had where we kind of laid out our big picture stop thoughts, we talked a lot about this big shift and transition and I think just, um, you know, like positive and negative and polarities, there's this, right. been this huge push towards centralization, uh, oppression, abuse of power, and everyone's becoming more and more aware of it. So I think there's we're going to experience a big shift back towards decentralization and uh, away from dependence and reliance, like Nicole was saying. And I think it's a beautiful opportunity, you know, if we can stay positive through it all. There's actually a cool history of intentional communities and experimental communities in the 1800s. One of them was by this guy, Josiah Warren, and it was called Utopia or Modern Times. It was called Modern Times. And it was based on individual sovereignty. It was pretty anarchist agorist, except they're, they're con- they had more like equitable commerce and um, a lot of time stuff, right? Not total free private enterprise. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was a cool experiment. It lasted from 1851 to 1864. Um, there was another one called New Harmony. I forget the guy that created that one, but you know, obviously before the Civil War, when everything got more centralized and then the Industrial Age, there was there was more Leave You Alone back then, and so I'm hoping we don't have Leave You Alone. Now, now. New Harmony was a train wreck. New Harmony was the the genesis of, of modern socialism. Was New Harmony? That yeah. that's what that was. It was uh, Indiana, I believe, and it was yeah, uh, it was an Irish or British uh, entrepreneur who had run his factory over in Ireland or England or whatever as a, like a company store type socialist thing. And he had a, he was like a modern day, you know, a a, a historical version of like, like an Elon Musk. He was that kind of wealthy. And there was a, like a religious community that decided they were going somewhere else. They had a whole town. And so he bought the whole town. Pre-made, pre-made, ready to go. Like it would have been the one place it should have worked, but then he tried to run it on this very socialist, ethos before that was even really a term people knew and all the ideologues went there and nobody wanted to do nothing and even the people that did it was so inefficient that like just getting like if you grew lettuce getting it to a to to a place so a person could have it was ridiculous and then nobody wanted to do any work and the whole thing fell apart Mm. and so that's that's your leftist commune with no buy-in right yeah no buy-in and no colonies in the no US reward system. If you too. look at it at communist commune, communes, what you see happening that makes them work is there is some sort of without the value. Whips, they they set up a market. If you're not working, work. <laughs> um, then out. Yep. Starvation is your motivation in communism. If you actually feed everybody, it doesn't work. You know, because then I don't got. I'm not. I've got to get food. Okay, I'm I'm good. Yeah. You know, without shooting back people in the head, it just doesn't work. You gotta have mechanisms and incentives in place to keep it, keep people. One hundred percent needs to have an economy. It needs to have governance, and you know, again, mercantilism. There needs. It reminds me that last little uh, 
conversation reminded me of like the, the coal mining towns in West Virginia. Like this guy comes and buys a town and then it's his company town, let's say. But in, in the coal mining towns, it would be like the mining company would buy this town, build the houses, supply the general store, like everything, take care of everything. Mm-hmm. And they would pay their employees, not in federal reserve notes or dollars. They'd pay them in their own company script, mm-hmm. their own yeah. company, you know, ticket. And essentially you could go and take that ticket and use it like money at the general store in that town. But it was like their own Walmart. You know, it's as if Walmart opened up a, a company living situation. And I mean, those can turn bad really quick. They mm-hmm. did turn bad in, in Pennsylvania. And there was an yeah. organization called the Molly Maguires. What are they? You think Irish people blowing shit up is something that just happened, you know, 40 years ago. It has a much longer history than that. Right. And if you happen to have a bunch of pissed off Irishmen with access to dynamite, they will really blow some shit up. <laughs> what did they do? <laughs> oh, they blew all kinds of shit up and they killed a bunch of people. <laughs> because, I mean, if you know the song uh, Tennessee Ernie Ford has, I owe my soul to the company store, that's what that's all about. Not the right. Molly Maguires, but that, that model. Well, the Molly Maguires just decided they'd had enough of this shit and, uh, uh, Castle Coal Company, Reading Coal Company, a couple other big coal companies in Pennsylvania, they just got the shit tore out of them, and it kind of yeah. ended that model there. Yeah, because they, uh, they were basically raping and pillaging their own employees, right? Yeah. And then they yeah. go to the company store, they couldn't afford it, then they had to work more, and they, they never got out of the debt to the yeah. company. And, and you know, like there, how our country works. There is a uh, mm-hmm. a place where people push back on people like us, and they have a legitimate point. And you got to figure out how to handle things so they don't get out of hand this way. But b- back in the 1800s, early 1900s, it was not uncommon. Like workers would go on strike, and owners would like hire like freaking private security to come in and move them yeah. all out with guns. You know? Yeah. Um, now they couldn't force them to work, but they could. You know, you're not striking here. You're getting the hell out of right. here. And you know, people did get shot. I mean, there yeah. there has to be some mechanism for. For people to feel they get to turn, the, the word is justice. If you yeah. think about what's causing everybody to lose their effing minds, whether they're right or wrong, it's a perception that they're not getting justice. Yeah. And people get very pissed very quickly when they feel that there's no justice. People yeah. will often settle for, I'm really pissed off. I don't like the way this came out, but I felt it was handled fairly. Yeah. Right. They but when heard. they feel that they were slighted, man, that's. You know, you have neighbors that one feels slighted by the other and they don't, they don't talk to each other for 50 years. We have family members over a slight like that. So you take it outside of family and friends and it's, it can be a big powder keg real quick. And that's something else you have to, and I think that's why you're right. You need governance. I don't, I don't like the word and I know why and it's not a good reason. And it's because it makes you think of the state. Right. It's something we always have to separate governance from agreements. Let's yeah. say. Yeah. You know, yeah. like instead of agreements, yeah, that we we choose to Covenant. live, by. and so long as everybody's polite and does what they say that they're going to do and follows their word, you know, then we'll all get along. Well, think of the shittiest situation to be in, and that is two parents in a divorce situation with a couple kids. It sucks. Really it bad really spot does. to be in. Yeah. And whether the whether the divorce was amicable or hateful. What always makes it work, if it works and everything works out reasonably well, is rules. Yeah. Right. That's that's how if, if both sides can agree, this is how we're going to do things, and then they both sides stick to it. Whether it was a friendly divorce or a horrible divorce, it almost always can be worked out. But if those rules aren't followed, then you know, makes it like you know, I have a family member who was basically running a little mini daycare out of her house, was doing really well with it. Everybody was happy. 
she's married to a woman's ex-husband and that woman found out about it and realized, oh, there's one too many kids there for the state law and turned her in. Oh, oh Jesus. Boy. Like, but that was because yeah. rules weren't being followed and everybody felt all constantly wanting to just get the other side, mm. you know? That's a Karen move. That is a Karen move. That's it like a, a yeah, move. that's a Molly McGuire revenge move right there, man. Let's find it's, it's important to just try your best to associate with conscious people and for we ourselves to be as conscious as possible and capable of self reflection. And that's why, like I said, if you're going to do an intentional community or something, even like invest and go in on a big business partnership or whatever, it's really important to know that person and to have gone through struggle and conflict because People get nasty. Somebody was saying that before, like when when people feel backed into a corner or when they feel slighted, people get nasty and do nasty stuff. So consciousness is is really important. Good woke people, the good kind of woke people, right? Not this crazy lefty thing, but conscious people. I think self-reflection is important. One of the ways that they can do that in in a company structure, let's say, are – you know, they do trips together, right? They do uh, bonding trips, team building you know, and I wonder if um, there's a way to do that and keep the vibe of the community at least at a at a compassionate level, right? Where they they care about one another, you know, without institutionalizing it or making like, okay, everybody shows up at you know this time to do these meetings. Like, yeah, what's another way to to build that that culture? I, I, the, the things that I've thought of are to have like. Uh, managed activities that are like, hey, everybody, in the community, we're doing this one fun thing this time. If anybody wants to show up. Oh. Yeah, and it's like providing a service to the community, right? It's like, hey, we're all going to go zip lining or whatever it is, and they can sign up and they they pay for it and they're buying in, you know, because I think that that's important. Yeah. Um, you can go play, play paintball on Festivus, you know? right? Yeah, whatever. Take your it is. aggression out with paintball on each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nail the guy you're upset with. Just yeah, exactly. That's a good way to work out, you know, conflicts. The airing of the grievances. The grievances. Yeah. Training's good too. Like I'm a big fan of nonviolent communication. It was lined out by this guy Marshall Rosenberg, and it's all about speaking in terms of feelings and needs, and not getting defensive and receiving someone else's communication through that same lens. So if one person's all pissed off and they're saying some nasty things, you try to look through that compassionately and see that they have some feelings and some unmet needs. But one of these mechanisms, there's other types as well. If you have How about needs, thick skin training where we just call each other pussy <laughs> until everybody gets over that shit and we can just get along? There you go. With lots of drinking involved, that'll make it. There, that always okay. makes it better. There's a Japanese style that's called Nakaima, and it's essentially it's like a de-escalation technique, right? So you come at me, you're like, Rah, 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 rah. Instead of being like, I hear you, brother, you be, you go right back at him. You're like, I blah, blah, blah. You're like, you match their tone, their yeah. intensity, all of it. And you, and, but you're in control, right? So you yeah. match their tone and intensity and then you slowly start changing your own. And then ah. you get back to a place of like calmness. And then all of a sudden, and it might take a couple times, but then they eventually like follow you, but you have to meet them. It's like a keto or whatever. You have to meet them with whatever they're bringing. That's just a, a neat aside. That's actually like, a negotiating technique in business that's used all the time. Mm-hmm. Really? I didn't know that's where it came from, but yeah, you, you, you get, when you're do like corporate negotiations, you get training that's exactly that way. Oh, to like match how they're yeah. sitting, how they're breathing. And oh, they're, yeah. and they're, they're like, right. and oh, when they're upset, yeah. it, you, you match their upset. Like you do not, you do not go below them. Right. Until, until you, first you meet them. Yeah. And then you, then you deescalate. Right. Yeah. And as long as they're not wielding a knife, it usually works. 
Yeah, I've ended up doing that unconsciously in so many different different scenarios. I think that there's ways to take these these ideas and then like almost like an education for the community too. There's got to be like a common thread that like we're all learning this thing together. That's what church is, right? It's like we're all going to vibe together this day about this whatever. Like we believe this about God, you know, and like everybody gets in a in a in a similar. um, If you think about the most successful intentional communities ever are churches yeah when you put it that way like everybody shows up on a certain day it's all voluntary nobody makes you go right except your mom you know mm-hmm. or your wife <laughs> you know but but i mean everybody goes everybody has something but i think part of what makes that work and maybe you can build something like this without necessarily having to be a church into an intentional community is it's kind of a set time but it's not really a set time because there's early mass and late mass and other like adult conversation groups and stuff there's mm-hmm. something for everybody at different times and places. Everybody goes and then it's over and everybody goes back to their own place. So you have right. this community, but we're not, again, we're not in this point where like, I don't want to look at Xavier one more damn time today. Yeah. Right. He's been a nice right. guy, but I'm just done with Xavier. Like I can go my way and he can go his way and, and what have you. So one one of the standards we've set here is that. Uh, we agreed that we would not get butt hurt when you come to somebody's house in my neighborhood and they say, I just want to be alone today yeah. or I want to have my time and yeah. it's just not a good time. And you gotta have the same thing with like, it was yeah. okay, but now I need you to go. Yeah, right. exactly. It's just, I I'm done and yeah. I need my time. And yeah. that having that conversation before the situation came up, has been really helpful for us. Mm. I saw something interesting on the uh, as a comment from Fubear in in YouTube. It says when Amish build barns, uh, barns, barns, uh, everyone shows up because everybody wants another barn. Eventually, you need mutual needs in the community. I think that's yeah. really true that's too. In an intentional community, part of what makes it a community is that you're helping each other in different ways. And if if you are in the community and are never going to need anything, why would you help? Right. Maybe because you're a nice person, but not everybody's a nice person. There's there's that well, self-interest, I think, that you need to acknowledge in human nature, that a lot of people, when they set up these communities, they're talking about the greater good in the community and not acknowledging the self-interest in making that strong. Yeah. I think we're planning for everybody to get along all the time, and that just... That's no. never going to happen. No. That's the exception, not the rule. But a good mind state is is like when we get into relationships, I'm not looking for somebody to love me. Right. I'm looking to have somebody that I can experience the feeling of love when I look at them. That's the gift. Right. It's like being able to love someone. And so when we come into a neighborhood, we want to be with people that we look and we say, here's an opportunity where I can appreciate this person. And that makes me feel good to see them as my neighbor. And I want to go help them build that barn. Right. Um, there's that self-interest part too, where it's like, well, I want somebody to eventually help me, but the, the gift is in the giving, right? And, and how there's, I don't know if this is a possibility, but how do you, uh, I don't want to say institutionalize because that's too harsh of a word, but how do you encourage that in an intentional community? I think you regulate interest that's <laughs> your, your, your analysis is a higher level, right? I think self-interest gets people there though. Mm-hmm. Because then you experience that you, you actually have a better emotional response when you've helped somebody else succeed. 
Yeah. It does feel good. kind of still goes back to that, but you'd never know it if you didn't try. Well, I'm drinking Kratom. I think we forgot to do what is everybody drinking. So, like, I'm super like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I'm talking about. I think scorn might be beneficial in that either. I'm sure. I mean, I've never been Amish, so I don't know for sure. But I'm sure if, like, Billy doesn't show up for the barn raising, unless he's down hard with a disease or something, everybody's going to be like, where the hell is Billy? Yeah. (laughs) And, like, Billy is not gonna do well going forward if he's a a taker and not a giver right um i think that that has a lot to do with it but i don't know how you police it i'm i'm back to kind of liking the idea of a neighborhood with some sort of a there has to be a mechanism to provide the services that a government would normally provide without a government right or 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 you're gonna end up with a government and i think this is a good tool you just like if Billy doesn't show up, somebody asks. Billy's him, a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Billy, I fucking hate Billy. Ah, Billy's Karen a bitch. is a Karen. Somebody asked. Some soft social control. Some soft yeah, social engineering. Some, some I mean, uh, passive aggressiveness. Somebody yeah. asked, "What is the mechanism when people don't follow the rules? What do you suggest?" And so, of course, you'll have to have that in your founding contract. And I guess yes. for someone to get kicked out of the property that they have a stake in, if it's more of a private property model, that would have to be pretty egregious. But it if it's smaller things, you know, I think ostracism is one of the best tools, even if they still live there. If you're you just let them know they're not welcome at the potluck that we're going to have. You don't invite them when you go off property to go to the movies or whatever. People start to get the hint and that's why, again, it's real important that you try to do your best to work with conscious people or at least people that you're familiar with. But that's yeah. really that's what it comes. That's that's why government exists. Right. It's a total yeah. failure for that purpose. But it's up to people to, to figure out those other I mean, ways. Persuasion. You really can't evict pressure. somebody from their own house. Yeah. So if you're talking about some sort of a development, like if it's a place where you, you're you're living in a thing that you're paying for monthly that you're paying the company for, then there's the process to send somebody out. You kind of have to expect, accept the fact that if you build something like a neighborhood, a subdivision, what have you, and you end up with, with, with John in there and John's an asshole, like John, it's John's house. Like you, right. you know, that's the, point that. the state will get involved and say, no, you can't make John move. Well, what, like, I'm sure there's some like no, but some you can big tell no-nos. John he can't like, use the. Uh, I can't store toxic center. waste in my backyard. For Correct. Example. Correct. But you could just be a generalized asshole with a bullhorn, like like Nicole was talking about, right? So <laughs> don't like the like, bullhorn guy. You know, we can deal with your bullhorn, but I still can't make you leave. I mean, I had a neighbor at one place, and if we didn't move when we did, he was getting close to opening up his mailbox and finding a timber rattler in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was that bad, you know, and I didn't do it, but good you know, on the rare, on, on the, on the off chance that his wife might've opened it is probably the only reason it didn't happen. If we uh, have fine rats in our mailbox. We know where they came from. Yeah. It's the rattler. And where those tactics. Rats how he gets back at the Karens. Rotten frog on your roof. Something like that. That's harassment. Rattled horse head. When you go to rattlesnakes, you're serious. Um, but John, I, you've mentioned to me several times in, in, in conversation, that there is actually easy to set up a private city or not a private city, but as incorporate as a city or a town in Texas. And we're, oh, yeah. we're in like an hour and a half, but that would be probably a good thing to kind of finish on and maybe a few words from everybody on what they're drinking or something. Sure. Yeah. There's this guy, his name's Art Martinez. He's an attorney and he helped the legislature create this language for what they call a liberty city. And we have some friends that are trying, they tried to do it in Caldwell County 
And we even had a friendly in the county commissioner's court, but it wasn't enough when the county government actually figured out what it was that they were doing. Because you only have to have a certain number of people in a given area in order to incorporate into a city. Okay. And some people bought some property and put some mobile homes out there, and then people registered to vote at that property. They lived there as a residence, and there was enough people. It's only a handful of people to establish a city, and so they already had the person that was going to be the mayor lined up, and the city government was ready to go. Um, they had to get the approval from the county. But essentially, once you incorporate the city, this Liberty City, it's a different type of city structure that doesn't allow for bonds to be taken out. And it doesn't for allow for all sorts of taxes that most cities take advantage of and, okay. and inevitably do. And like we were talking in the conversation, Jack, one of the benefits is that it prevents you from being annexed from an actual city. Yeah. So as long as you can trust the guys that you appoint or choose of your own little group to be the mayor and stuff. Uh, actually, you would actually have to change the structure of the city because you're prohibited in the structure. You don't have the power or the authority to do all these taxes. So no matter who the mayor is, it doesn't stuff. matter. He doesn't have that power. Yeah. So it's basically it's like a totally monarchist city idea, which is cool. It's like I, I'm going for How did the county stop them? Thing. Did they have the right to stop them, or did, was it like you're cheating stopping them? I think it had something to do with them having to do an election to – to bring on anoint the a mayor or whatever. Right. Yes. There was some, it wasn't really a loophole. They just didn't, they didn't like it. And actually, you know, the guy that I talked to said that they may, they may take it further. They're still trying to be friends with the County because they were yeah. do eventually, they don't want to pull out the, the thread of going to court or a higher district yeah. court or whatever to sort it out. So it's, it's a tri tricky water. It's not my ideal way to do things, but it's, it's like a low hanging fruit that, that's been done. There's one a little bit further southeast near Gonzalez. I forget the name of the county near Gonzalez, Texas. And they actually have the free, they already have the Liberty City set up and it's functioning and it's a lot of leave me alone type peeps. So that's in Texas. Texas is I mean, a great it place to be. You from the, to the, it puts a layer between you and the, the super state, right? And that's, that's the only reason I, I would be interested in it. It's an interesting idea. That's yeah. And it protects you from the big cities from coming in and running. That's off. really cool. Like, what you just said, Jack, uh, insulating you from the larger state or the larger organism, you know, that's the idea behind, um, unions and, and all of these kinds of things. And like the, the idea of a cooperative corporation, you know, the, the battles that are being waged right now are at the corporate economic level and the, the individual does not have the corporate or economic wherewithal or firepower to be able to deal with some of these larger institutions. But as a corporation together, we can, um, that's really interesting about setting up a city. I'm going to have to look into that, John. Yeah. One big piece of advice, too, for people that are wanting to do their own community or even buy their own property. Like, I know we try to avoid the whole left-right thing, but I would much prefer to live in a county or even a state, for that matter, that has a Republican government. Because the Democrats, there's just such more of a tendency to get involved in like Karen and, and just be onerous and burdensome and the nanny states. And conservatives are a little bit more offhandish when it comes to zoning and building your homes and all that stuff. Yeah. So that's a big indicator, especially if it's a big liberal city like Austin. So yeah, sure. trying to find a conservative, like very small government where you could actually go in. And that's the thing we, we were going to do this. Uh, a friend of mine had a property and he wanted to not install a septic tank. And it turns out there's probably like a septic cartel where they require if you're going to have a <laughs> yeah. residence, you yeah. have to have a septic, even if you want to do mm -hmm. one of these composting toilets. Yep. So I started studying. Yeah. Uh, oh, your gray water, right? County. Yeah. Hayes County. 
and all the different regulations, Hayes County actually had this green thing where they would allow for, they they have to approve you to only have. Oh, that's a, super forward thinking of them. I, I could not find yeah. one in North Carolina. In yeah, fact, in Hayes the, County, it's right by, it's right by Austin. Yeah. But the, the point is, if it's a small enough government, a lot of these people aren't sinister, you know, George Soros, Rockefeller right. Foundation type people. You could go in, a, you know, reasonable person. Hey, we want to do this in the community. We understand there's some regulatory hurdles. Then it comes down to, do you want to ask for forgiveness, not for permission? Or do you want to go in with good intentions and see what you could sort out? And oftentimes it's not that hard to change the code if it's just a small county, you know, as long yeah. as there's not a private profit interest as long as there's not a cartel involved somehow like the freaking septic cartel watch out for that septic See, cartel, but you man. don't actually need a septic system in texas you need a septic permit oh there you go the state your 500 and they permit your septic and approve the type of you know it's either anaerobic or aerobic and they never do it you have to put it in You never see them again. If you're unincorporated in Texas, you get from the county, you get your you near $500, they go away, and you can put any solution you want in nice. after that. It's that, a loophole for the shithole. It's <laughs> a loophole for the shithole. But now you got to do something with it. There's a shit cartel, apparently. If you, yeah. if you put in a lagoon and you have a green steaming lagoon out there, they're going to come back. But other yeah. than, like, as long as you as long as you actually solve the problem, once you give them their, their money, <laughs> they don't ever come. You can build your house and they don't ever come back. Yeah, that's how it was in, in our county, North Carolina, the poorest county in the state. And, you know, it was very good old boys and like nobody really gave a shit. They just had to follow the rules and they would they would actually in, inspect your tank and make sure it was good. But then they you'd never see them again. So you had to put one in even if you were going to compost. So. so there was like that's like status judiciary. We're back to there was a dude in Hawaii. He wanted to build this 900 square foot um tiny house or small house. Yeah. And it had a zone where he couldn't build a 900 square foot house. He had to build at least 2000 square foot. Jeez. So he needed his permit so he could build anything. So he comes up with an idea and he said, is there anything that says I can't build the garage first? <laughs> and they said, no. So he gave him the plan for the house. He built the garage, the garage became the house and he just stopped building it. Yeah. And he, he had a permit. There you go. There's always little loopholes there. I mean, that won't work everywhere. Someplace they got to come back and sign. I think they did, yeah. though. They came back and signed off on the garage, right? right? And then he just quit building. Yeah. Now they use Google Maps and stuff to check in on regulatory. Well, stuff. now you put a pool in, we're going to raise your property taxes, and we can see mm -hmm. that you did that. You build that. a shed, they're going to raise your property taxes. Yeah. Cool. All right. Just so we're portable. Getting put some wheels on the bottom of it. You'll be a okay. That, that's how we got around things in, in NC, too. It's like we could build, build a tiny house. Uh-oh. Oh, so you have to give a good deal. It's always it a gem. gem. It's like the one who's gonna, he actually literally got around something that time. That's why he went away. Yeah. Oh, You're going to have to tell us again, Xavier. Yeah, it was, it was just the tiny house thing. You could do it on wheels instead, and, and then you don't need a, a foundation. The minute you put a foundation in, there's all these permits and codes. Mm -hmm. And there's no property tax. If it's not a permanent thing and it's like an RV, yeah. which my girlfriend right. sells tiny homes in this tiny home community, and they're, they're, uh, permitted as recreational vehicles. Mm. Right. So the idea is, but the thing that they do is they're pretty dang permanent in their community. Like 
they're not going anywhere. They put these nice, fabulous desks, de- uh, decks yeah. on them. But when you look yeah. at the code, it says you can't have a permanent dwelling. So if you maybe take a two-week vacation, I don't know if this has been judiciated or if anybody's looked at it, but ideally you just you know take a month-long vacation or two-week mo- two vacation, and it's not your permanent residence. I don't know. Yeah. But no property tax. They do that's that pretty good. In the marinas I live by here with the houseboats. There's a certain number of nights you have to be gone mm-hmm. every month. So it's like, oh, I'm going to visit my sister <laughs> for the weekend. Or and my now neighbor. I'm a resident here. Yeah. What if you just switch? Uh, there you go. <laughs> That's uh, how you I'll do it. City. There's so what's everybody drinking? We'll we'll end on our drinks for the night and uh, go around and last thoughts. Lacroix. 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 Oh, I hate the mango flavor. I'm drinking air. Oh, this is mango, yeah. But there was bourbon in that earlier. Oh, nice there drink. was bourbon. <laughs> I had like this much water I was milking. Through yeah, the, that's good. The show. I had a uh, Kratom tea. All right. Yeah. Can't go wrong with that. Yeah. So any last thoughts on intentional communities? You guys want to uh, want to start one? I know we'll all come to Nicole's place. Heck yeah, I, we're moving I'm in with still... Nicole. She got a spare bedroom. I'm I'm all about unintentional communities. I do think um, ownership of your own sub empire within the empire is something that helps and helps set a standard of where you have your influence versus what's the community. I think Mm -hmm. that's part of what's working here is if somebody wants to go back to their house, they do and they turn up whatever bad music they want to listen to, or they, they, you know, plant the kinds of plants I would never plant here. So we're not having to agree on everything. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm kind of a big fan at this point in my life of the subdivision model. And yeah. I think that a lot of the problems that we talk about can be solved by doing the layout so that the houses are not really close to each other. That's one of the mistakes I've seen, even in like subdivisions I've seen where we were looking at property. Cause you know, we said we want minimum five acres or whatever. All the freaking lots were narrow rectangles. Mm. Yeah. And the house, so you have five acres in a strip, but your neighbor's right there and your other neighbor's right there. I think, if everybody has some space, there's a lot less tension. Yeah, that's yeah. true. In a forest with trees dividing. Yes. Um, I'm all about intentional community, and we hope to do an intentional community. And I'll keep everyone in the loop. Our goal is to maybe do it in a year or two to at least get started. Of course, that's just acquiring it, and then it's going to take a while after that. But a couple of resources for people to check out. There's a foundation for intentional community. And it's a it's a resource. There's information. I think it might also be they might do like some association to kind of help intentional communities. But you could find intentional communities in your area to either visit for inspiration or so a lot of these places allow you to stay there and you just pay a small little fee. It's kind of like a hotel thing. And then there's the Global Eco Village Network. I don't know if yeah. I said the URL. That's ic.org is the foundation for intentional community. That's a valuable URL probably. And then uh, Global Eco Village Network is ecovillage.org. And it's cool. There's a map. You'd be surprised. There's a lot of these things all over the place. Um, and then a lot of folks in the Freedom Cell Network are really interested in this idea. So that's a place to meet people of like mind that are wanting to do this too. And when you go to freedomcells.org and register, there's also a member map. So you can see people in your area. And then just to hammer home the last thing that I, I hit on, we all hit on um, – is doing it with people that you can jive with, not yeah. with Karens, not with a-holes. And ideally it's someone that you already have a lasting relationship with and you've been through some struggles. So you know that you guys can handle conflict because conflict is inevitable. Nice. So my last thought is this is what Firon will be doing. Uh, we're going to start by building the, the governance app. So it could be like a virtual 
uh, intentional community all, all across the world. And then we will get into building fire on hubs, which are like, um, like a golf club community, but based around agriculture where you get fresh food delivered to your house every day. Um, and so like a lot of the questions and answers that you guys had are really good and informative for me. So yeah, stay tuned for that. We're going to, we're actually going to do our start our raise here, uh, in the next two weeks for, for that company. So if anybody's interested, cool. um, you know, do we get yeah. on the pre mine? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, All right. I'm check that out. Um, you, hey, can you. I can I say one thing before we yes, go? Because I forgot, but I shouldn't forget. So we're everybody knows I had a roaster fire, and I'm expanding the size of my roaster. We launched a website a couple weeks ago, kickstarthollerroast.com, where you can pre-buy coffee, and we have other really fun perks like coffee with Jack. We should totally do coffee with the gaggle, by the way, where we all taste it. We have to. Um, oh, that'd be dope. We, we totally got to do that. Uh, but it's over at kickstarthollerroast.com. We just hit 20000 Wow. My ultimate end goal, I'm going to confess, is $30,000 to get all of the expansion done. So I'm pushing for 10 more, and we're going for about two more weeks. So if anybody's interested... Head over there. You get great coffee as your perk. And if you don't like coffee, I do have an I love tea level. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Thanks. Cool. And, and so we can do that at uh, Jack's workshop in November. We could do like a, a whole bunch of cool stuff since we'll all be in the same spot. Yeah. Jack's, Jack's <laughs> said no. Jack won't be there, but we can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thank you guys. And thanks to all of our listeners. And uh, you can find us at UnloosedTheGoose.com, and you can also find us on YouTube. And thanks to the dedicated listeners who are taking the notes of the websites and resources that John has so awesomely put together this evening um, and, and for transcribing that and putting that in the show notes. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Honk. <laughs> Unloose the Goose. We'll take no views. Paradigms run out of time and we've got no use. Unloose the goose.